Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call it Money Pit is presented by the Angie app and QuickCrete. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And it's officially the fall fix-up season. This is the first weekend of fall. And if you've got a project that you want to take on to get done around your house, whether it's inside or out, we also call it the Goldilocks season because the weather's just right (laughs) whether you're in or out. We would love to help you take those projects on. And if you don't know how to start, that's a good reason to reach out to us at 1-888-MONEYPIT or by going to moneypit.com slash ask. That's the quickest way to get a response. Coming up on today's show, now that summer has officially come to a close, it is a good time to start thinking about that cold weather. And in your house, if that means sparking up a roaring fire, we've got some tips to help you keep your fireplace and chimney in shape throughout the winter. And fall is a good time to fix up your driveways by filling any cracks and sealing that surface. While this is a project homeowners often do leave to the pros, many of the products you need now have come such a long way in terms of being easy to use that you really can do this project yourself and save a ton of money. We're going to share some tips to help you get that done. And are dust pollen and other allergens making your life a sneezing, sniffling mess? Does it get worse when you start to seal up your home for the cold weather? Well, we're going to tell you the one thing that you can do to reduce those allergens in a really big way. But first, do you love your home but sometimes feel like it's an endless pit that you throw money into for home improvements and repairs? Well, we get it, and we can help you tackle your to-dos with confidence. So give us a call and let us know what you have planned this fall season so we can get it done. The number here is 1-888-MONEYPIT, or better yet, go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button to leave us your home improvement question. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Heading out to Maryland where we've got Bill on the line who's having some chimney issues. What is happening? Well, I have uh, a crown on my chimney, and I would estimate it's about 12 to 15 years old. There are a couple of relatively small cracks in it. And I had a chimney sweep come out to the house, and he, he did his, his cleaning that he normally does, and then he looked at it, and he suggested that I did not need to have it replaced, um, that it could just be um, covered over with what he called plastic roof cement. And he said this is a very thick product. You put it on with a trowel. And he said that that would take care of the problem and that, in fact, sometimes removing a crown from a chimney, in, in doing so, they can actually damage the chimney. So he did not recommend removal. So I partially agree with your chimney sweep. Um, you don't have to remove the chimney crown. Now, for those wondering what this is, if you have a brick chimney, 
you have a flue pipe that goes through the middle of that. And when it comes to the top, there is a mortar bed built up that goes from the flue pipe out towards the edge of the chimney. And the job of that chimney crown, which is what that's called, is to basically just take the rain that falls and then run it off to the edge of the brick. Now, cracks very commonly form in those crowns, and when it happens, all you have to do is caulk the cracks. I would use a good quality caulk like a silicone sealant, but the thing is if you put uh, the plastic roof cement on top of that, here's what's going to happen. Water's going to get under that. It's going to have no way to evaporate, and so the water will stay in that crown, and then when it's wet, it will freeze, and it will expand, it will crack and spall, and you'll end up having to replace it anyway. So I don't think that's at all necessary, and I really don't think that's a good idea Plastic roof cement, in my view, should be pretty much outlawed because there's almost no reason to use it. If you do the flashing properly and if you have a little crack, you seal it, you don't need that stuff. It's kind of like a, a way to do a quick fix, but the problem is it doesn't last that long and you end up having to come back again and again and again. And would you also recommend caulking along the the bottom of it, the line where it meets the chimney? No, not necessary. Just any, maybe around okay. the chimney liner itself, but, but not at the edge, not necessary. Okay, well, thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. Good luck with that project. Now I've got Michelle on the line. What can we do for you today? I have this huge flower bed right by my house, and it's about as big as a one-car garage. Anyway, I know that it's to be sloped away from the house, but I was wondering if I have a raised flower bed how far that raised flower bed should be from the house. That's a great question. Sometimes people put it right against the house, Michelle, and then it's great for the flowers, but it also holds all this water like against your foundation and it can cause flooding in lower levels or crawl spaces and basements, or it can even damage your foundation. So the, the flower bed is fine, but you, you need to make sure you, you essentially need to build it on a hill in the sense that what you want to do is establish the grade that slopes away from the house first and then once that grade is established, then you could plant flowers or shrubs or, you know, whatever else you, you want to do. What you don't want to do is kind of have like an like an edging around the outside of the bed so that a lot of times you see that people will use like, like uh, railroad ties or like scalloped bricks or block or something like that. And, and think of it as a trough that they build around their house. And that's what happens. It holds water. So just don't impede drainage, good flow of water away from the exterior wall and you'll be fine. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome, Michelle. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You know, we love hearing from our listeners. And if you want to make our day, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You know, it really helps us know what we're doing right and how we can improve our show for you. So just go to moneypit.com slash review, moneypit.com slash review, and you might even win a copy of our book. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than a 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. 
And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Andrew from Missouri's online and has a question about a deck. What's going on at your money pit? Built a deck with pressure treated lumber a little over a, well, it was a little under a year ago, and everybody had said everybody had talked to it said I need to let it sit for a little while to kind of cure out. And so I went the other day and I I bought the stain because I was going to you know get ready to stain it, and I was talked into using buying this deck cleaner, even though I had never put any stain on the deck before. And so I bought the deck cleaner, and all it said it was it was an Olympic deck cleaner, and it just said you put it on, you wait at least ten minutes, you just spray it on, wait ten minutes, and then hose it off, just rinse it off with water. Right. So I did that, and it it first made the deck real splotchy, and then it left a, a real thick white film hmm. on the deck, and so then I called tech support and i talked to a couple guys and a couple different paint stores and they said well try applying a second application of it and maybe that'll undercut it so i did that and it it didn't do anything so now i have a white film yeah i've actually read several reports about that happening online and they seem to point to a reaction between the pressure treatment chemicals and whatever's in this deck cleaner which is probably somewhat bleach based let me ask you this what are you planning to do after the cleaner are you going to put a stain on this deck that that was the plan we were going to do a semi-transparent uh like a rustic cedar was a thought but i don't know what to do at this point i suspect that that when you do apply the stain it's going to uh, cover that white haze I, I think you're going to end up okay on this okay just an additional point to make on this and that is that you know you have semi-transparent or solid color stains that are available you will find that if you use a solid color stain, while you'll still see the grain of the wood, you won't see different sort of tonal shades, uh, but you'll find that that has more pigment in it and actually lasts longer. So keep that in mind when you make that determination. The solid color does. Yeah, solid color does. What you might want to do, just to kind of prove a point, is uh, if you can find, uh, if you have any extra lumber from the deck or if you can find a section like maybe the back of a post or something like that, or the underside of a floor joist that you have clean and have that white blotchiness on it, if you could stain that first and see what the coverage looks like, you'll have a really good idea of what you're up against before you you know go for the entire deck surface and railings, okay? Okay, and then the last question is, so when I do stain it, would you recommend putting two coats on, or do you just wait to see what it looks like and then... If you're going to put semi-transparent on, you're, you're, you put two coats on, you're probably going to end up with solid color because you're going to be layering on top of it. But I would follow the manufacturer's instructions on that. You know, if, if you want to put a second coat on, I think that's fine. All right. Well, thank you very much. Well, if you're getting ready to spark up a toasty fire for the cooler months, you need to first make sure that your chimney is safe. First, you need to have a certified chimney sweep inspect and clean out that chimney. Now, the chimney should be checked at least once a year or once for every quart of wood that you burn. But be careful about choosing a chimney sweep company. 
unfortunately, guys, you know, chimney sweeps are notorious for recommending a lot of unnecessary repairs, and they may even use some scare tactics to get you to spend more money than you actually need to. So if that contractor recommends any expensive repair, just get a second opinion before you go ahead and say yes and open up that wallet. That's a good point. Now, during the season, it's important to also keep the firebox clean. You want to clean it at least once a week during the months you use it and when the ash builds up. Now, be extremely careful where you put those coals and ash that you take out of the firebox because it can stay hot for many days. Yes, I said many days. I've even seen these coals stay hot through major rainstorms. You know, in our fire pit outside, I've even seen ash stay hot enough to relight after being rained on all night long. So it's real important that you keep it in an ash container and keep the ash container away from the house, not anywhere near the walls of the house. So keep it out somewhere where it will be a totally safe spot. Yeah. Now, before you make fire, you want to open the glass doors. You want to pull aside those screen curtains and place the kindling, the newspaper, and the logs inside. Be sure that that damper is open and all the way open. This way, when you start the fire, you want to start small. And that initial heat from that small fire is going to warm the chimney. And what that does is improve the draft as it heats up. So it's actually going to draw that smoke up the chimney. So you got to make sure that happens. And really, you have to make sure that that flue is open. Yeah, and here's one more tip. If you have a prefabricated fireplace, one of these metal fireplaces, they're also called zero-clearance fireplaces. Now, those flues, the vents, actually operate a lot cooler than a masonry fireplace. And because of that, it's more likely to have condensation on the inside. And what that means is you can have wax buildup if you use those sort of ready-to-go logs that are made to just sort of, you know, light the paper on the outside of the log and it just starts to take off like a big candle. But if you use those all the time, you'll get like a serious wax buildup inside the chimney, which is hard to get rid of or inside the vent pipe. So use them sparingly. Like, you know, we have a fireplace like this uh, in a house that we owned once, and we used to use the wax logs, you know, occasionally, like holiday season or if we're having a party or something like that, where we didn't really want to have, you know, to have to deal with the fireplace a lot during the event. But for the most part, you really ought to be burning hardwood whenever possible, because that's going to give you the most speed to use, the most heat coming out of it. Uh, and it's definitely the safest for your chimney in terms of uh, not building up on the inside. Bridget in Illinois is on the line. What is going on with that musty odor at your money pit? Tell us about it. Well, my crawl space is about a 15 by 15 foot area. And it opens up into my basement. That yep. I bought an older home, and the addition just has the crawl space. Okay. So right now, it's just dirt, and I see some, they've laid some cardboard in there. But I heard last week that cardboard breeds mold from your shows. Yeah, not only that, but laying directly on the dirt, that is a that is a termite feast waiting to happen there. So what you need to do is a couple of things. You need to get the cardboard out of the crawl space and off of that soil. Then you need to lay uh, heavy plastic down, like Visqueen, very thick sheet plastic down across that whole soil surface. That's going to stop a lot of the moisture from evaporating up off that soil and getting into uh, into the air, which is causing the, the the musty smell in your basement. Now, do you have vents in this in this addition that are open to the outside so that the crawl space can uh, get some fresh air? Uh-huh. Do you have uh, a a door that closes the crawl space off from the main basement. No, I don't. Okay. So what you're going to need to do is is to form or construct some sort of a hatchway that closes off that opening between the crawl space and the basement. They don't need to be connected. And in fact, if they are, uh, it's going to lead to energy loss. 
there's a couple of ways that you can do that. And what you might think about doing, if it's just sort of a, a standard opening that maybe is three feet wide and two feet tall, I don't know. But if it's something like that, you could take a piece of a one-inch uh, styrofoam and put a piece of plywood on the on the, in the front of that, and this way construct a, essentially an insulated hatchway there so that you can really seal that in and keep the cold side uh, on the crawl space and let the basement be the warm side. I think those couple of things are going to solve your musty smell in your basement, and it's also going to make... Uh, that crawl space much, much drier, which is important. If you let that moisture continue to evaporate off the soil, what's going to happen is you're eventually going to get not only an inefficient situation because your insulation will be damp, but you could get termites, you could get uh, mold or decay of the floor structure. Okay. And my other question is, if I put the bisqueen down, how much do I overlap the pieces? Very good question. I would overlap it about four feet. You don't want to put it edge to edge. Okay. And then someone told me that maybe I should put lime down underneath first to dry out the area in case there's bacteria. Is that correct? No. You cannot possibly take all the moisture away with lime that's under that. Okay? No. Just cover it with the visqueen. Make sure the vents are open. Seal it off from the basement, and I think it would be good to go. And, and by the way, at that foundation perimeter, you can also reduce the amount of moisture getting in there by making sure you have gutters on the addition. The downspouts are extended four to six feet uh, from the house and the soil is always sloping away. All that moisture management is going to help. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You got it, Bridget. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. MONEYPIT. Going to talk to Steve in Arizona who's got a question about air conditioning, and it was pretty hot this summer for you guys, so you definitely need it. What's going on? Yeah, I was just wondering what a three-ton uh, regular air conditioner would run me. Well, I mean, that's going to depend because contractors have wide ranges of charges that they that they go through. Yeah. Um, I can tell you the best way to get down to this is to get a number of contractors to give you prices. I had to uh, get estimates on a three-and-a-half-ton uh, air conditioner from my mom's house in Florida for her 
uh, a few, few months ago, and I was amazed that I had prices that I ran from about $7,000 to about $12,000 for the same darn system. Uh, so it was just a huge, huge, huge uh, variation. They really went up the last couple of years. Everything's going up the last couple of years, Steve. But I will say this. Uh, you probably don't need to use the most efficient one, depending on how long you're going to be in that house. The high-efficiency ones are going to be far more expensive, and you have to question whether or not that will ever pay itself back. You want to get one that's efficient enough to qualify for any rebates. But beyond that, I would stick with uh, something close to that level. Okay. Well, I appreciate your help and your information on that. Cindy in Florida, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? We bought our house two years ago, and one of the options was to have the epoxy floor. And what we got was a plain gray epoxy. And okay. now we notice that the other houses that are all being built around us, they have a gray epoxy floor, but they have those little speckle confettis on yeah. top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we want to know, we want to we redo our epoxy to have that little confetti sprinkled on. Do okay. we have to strip the old epoxy off completely, or can we just put... Um, a new epoxy over it. No, I think you could put a second layer on it as long as that old epoxy is adhered well. If it looks like it's it's tough finished and sticking well, then I think you could add another coat of epoxy on top of it. Um, some folks put multiple coats of that base epoxy, and some folks put the clear even put a clear coat on on top of mm-hmm. uh, of what they have. So no, you can put another layer on. I would try to find out what product it was. So that you're using the same product, that would give you a better chance of not having any adhesion issues. Oh, that makes a difference, the same product. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I did, didn't even think of that. Thank you All very right. much. Okay, Cindy. Good luck with that project, and thanks for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Heading over to West Virginia, where we've got Randall on the line. What is going on at your Money Pit? Uh, nothing, a whole lot. I just got flooded about five months ago, but I'm dealing oh, no. with that. <laughs> Terrible. So, you know, the house was kind of tore up. So my question was, I've lived in this house for 24 years, roughly, but the basement has never been vented, and I've never really had a problem with it. So should I vent it now? Now, when you say basement, are you talking about a full basement, or are you talking about a crawl space? This is a full basement, but it's like um, half underground, half above ground. Yeah, well, you don't vent a space like that. You don't. You only put vents in a crawl space, not in a basement. Yeah, so, well, I mean, it does feel a little damp occasionally. Okay, so let's talk about that because that's the heart of the matter. So there's a couple of things that you can do. First of all, you, know, you mentioned flooding, and uh, if that happened during heavy rain and you got more humidity, more dampness, or any kind of leak in that space when that happened, that has everything to do with the drainage around your house, starting with the gutters. If they're not clean, if they're not extended, those downspouts have to be way out away from the foundation, not the two feet that most people have, but I'm talking about six, seven, eight feet so that the water moves away from the foundation. Keeping that water away as much as possible will definitely have an impact on drying out that basement space. But if you want to dehumidify it further, what you could do is install a dehumidifier in that space. Now, there are the sort of the portable kind where you have like a tray that fills up with water. You don't want that. There are more professional versions, more heavy-duty versions, 
where they can be suspended from the ceiling and they pull the moisture out based on the humidistat and then they're, they, they automatically pump the water outside. And that's what I have in my basement to help me with some of the humidity issues that we have, even though my drainage outside is perfect. It's just a very sandy, damp kind of a soil and I got a really old house. So the moisture does make itself known in that basement space. So I have a good solid humidifier hung from the ceiling uh, that does a good job keeping it drier. But you don't have to put vents in it. That's not going to help you here. What you want to do is make sure the drainage is right and then dehumidify what's left. Okay. I mean, it just seemed a little damp down there. There's never any standing water or anything. Yep. It just seemed damp when you go down there. I hear you. But putting, putting a vent in is not going to change anything. It's not going to change. Yep. Okay, then I won't bother with it. All right. You. Well, good luck with that project. Thank you. Thanks so much for calling us. All right. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Well, winter is rough on driveways, which is why fall is a good time to fix up your driveway by filling in those cracks and sealing up that surface. Now, the first step is patching and filling any holes or cracks in the driveway. You're going to want to tackle this part of your driveway rehab well before you start the sealing process, as filling material needs plenty of time to cure. Now, make sure that you're planning for curing time because that asphalt patching product does require, you know, different amounts of time. And you have to give it the correct time to cure before you do anything else. So plan everything based on that first step. Now, here's a tip. When shopping for the patching product you're going to use, remember that the more solids it contains, like asphalt and polymers and coal tar, the better the quality and the more lasting and effective the results will be. Now, after you've patched and filled cracks in the driveway and allowed time for the repairs to cure, it's time to plan for the sealing project. Now, the best time to do that is when the weather is forecasted to be rain-free and daily temps are in at least 50-degree range. Now, the next step is to wash the asphalt surface. You want to use an oil cleaner for stubborn oil stains and then apply a mixture of TSP detergent and water to the entire surface using a stiff bristled brush. Now, you can also use a pressure washer for this deep cleaning step. And here's the thing, guys. You have to let the driveway dry completely. So once it is completely dry, you want to apply a sealant using a squeegee, a roller, or a broom. You want to work in strokes parallel to your house and then allow the sealant to dry according to those manufacturer instructions. Then come back for another application lap, this time working in passes that run perpendicular to the house. This way you're going to get great coverage. And I'll tell you, I have found that the uh, the driveway squeegees, there's applicators that are made just for putting on asphalt sealers, are so worth this few dollars they cost because you're not going to ruin a broom. You can't clean these things when you're done. You have to get all that sealant in there. I mean, I guess you can because they're, a lot of them are, are water-based now, but it's just a whole lot easier to buy a disposable driveway squeegee. It's on a stick like a broom, like a push broom, and it just gives you a lot better control when you're moving that material around. Now, once that finish has dried, you're going to want to like set up some traffic cones or some yellow tape or something to keep cars off it for at least a couple of days. I always keep the cars off it a lot longer than the manufacturer says we have to. I just feel like it's going to last longer that way. But if you do this right, you follow those steps, you're going to have a really great looking and hardworking driveway surface that can stand up for many, many years to come. So good luck. Catherine, you've got the money pit. What can we help you with today? I have lighting in the basement and it is something we started initially and we changed our mind. And so there are outlets or holes that are intended for um, light fixtures and then also a ceiling fan. And we're changing how we're going to do things down there. Is there some way that we can catch it up and start all over? Or do we need to have an electrician in and resurface everything and do everything all over again? 
Okay, so your main concern is that you have the holes that you're not using anymore, so you want to know if you can patch those? Yes. Yeah, patch sure you them, can. And then the wires are already there. Oh, the wires are there? Well, if the wires are there, if they're if they're live, if they're connected on the other end, if they're energized mm-hmm. to a panel, then they have to be disconnected for sure. Okay. You could just put a, a you know wire nuts on the end of it and cover the box, and there's different types of ceiling plates that could cover that. But frankly, if you're never going to use that wiring, I wouldn't have extra energized wiring through the ceiling. I would just disconnect it at the panel wherever it, it was given power. If it's a matter of, of, of there's no wiring behind it or you've totally disconnected it and now you've got these big old holes, um, yeah. you can do it one of two ways. You can either put like a decorative plate, let's say it's around, you know, around fixture, around uh, electrical box. There are electrical pl- plates that are designed to fit over ceilings that can cover that. You can paint it white. It's not that noticeable. Or if you wanted to completely repair the ceiling as if it never happened at all, then what I would do is I would probably, if I was repairing that, I would square off the hole first. So, cause it's a lot easier to patch a square hole than it is a round hole. And then what you do is you take another piece of drywall and you basically measure out a piece that's, well, let's say it's about two inches wider on all sides. So if it was four by four of the hole, I would look, cut a piece that was eight by eight or so. Because what you're okay. going to do, and this is a little tricky, you're going to turn that piece of drywall upside down and you're going to sort of score where that four inch piece would be in the middle. Then you're going to peel off all of the plaster that's on the drywall except for the paper on the outside edge because that's going to actually act as the drywall tape. And then if you put spackle and you put that little piece back up there and you may have to tack it in place with a screw or something while while it's holding, while it's drying, you can spackle that and it will magically disappear. But when it's time to paint, make sure you prime it and then always use a flat paint because otherwise all the spackle you put up there, even if you do a good job, is going to be really obvious. Okay? Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You got home improvement questions, guys, but you're kind of confused where to turn for answers? Well, come on, sillies. Turn to us. We can help you save money, save time, and avoid those home improvement hassles that can slow you down on the road to your dream home. Follow the Money Pit podcast at moneypit.com slash podcast. Charles in Tennessee, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you with your porch project? I bought a house, and uh, the front porch is, is made out of concrete. It, it's got block, a brick surroundings, and it's got a poured concrete slab. Okay. And uh, one side of the slab is just falling in. Huh. It, I'm, I'm thinking that when they built it, that they didn't pack the sand that they put in to pour right. the slab on. And one side yep, of it is yep. now settling and it's falling in. It's about four inches down. I wonder yep. how to get under that thing. Yeah, well, you're not. You're not going to be able to get under that thing. And I think you're exactly right. And I've seen that happen before. They, they'll use maybe concrete block to form the outside edge. And then they'll just throw whatever's around the construction site in that hole to fill it up. And sometimes you could settlement or you could be have like a tree stump in there that rots away. And then it rains. You get the water in there and it can't hold that slab anymore. You are going to be much better off breaking that slab out of there and properly backfilling that space, tipping it in well, and then pouring a new slab. It's only a piece of concrete. It's not like you're lifting the whole house. I don't think you're going to be the expense of doing any kind of of uh, pump jack or something of that nature is just not going to be worth it. I would simply break up the slab and replace it. That's what I'll do then. All right. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. 
Well, autumn's colors are something to look forward to, but the change of seasons also has its drawbacks, like allergies and energy costs. Which is why it's important to do what you can to improve your home's indoor air quality. Now, step one is changing your filters, the filters in your heating and cooling system. You know, good quality HVAC filters are going to capture about 90% of those large allergens like dust and pollen and mold spores that make us all so miserable, and it'll take it right from the air it's passing through. Now, if your family is prone to allergies, you want to look for filters with a MERV rating of at least 11 now, if you change out the filter a little more often than necessary, once every two months or so, it can even reduce the amount of energy needed to heat your home, leading to lower energy costs and reduce stress on that HVAC system. And if you want even better protection against the microscopic airborne particles that carry bacteria and viruses, it's a good idea to think about investing in electronic air cleaner. This is going to be a significantly larger expense, of course, than, than you know choosing some new filters, even high-efficiency filters. But... It is really the best way to go. It's an appliance that uh, has to be installed uh, into your HVAC system. It's usually on the blower door side, the blower compartment side of your furnace. And it cleans everything that goes through it, including virus particles and bacteria particles. That's how efficient these electronic air cleaners are today. So that's going to really make a big difference in the indoor air quality inside your house. So if you want to go that route because you're just so sick and tired of being sick and tired from allergies, electronic air cleaner is definitely worth the investment. James wrote in and he says, I recently had a new door to my crawl space installed from the outside. The door sits in bricks and on cinder blocks and the framing of the house is along the top. Does this type of door need to be weatherproof like any other exterior door or window? Yeah, I know the kind of door you're talking about. It's basically like, think of it as like a very small exterior door, Leslie, like half height or even a third of the size of a regular door. And it's cut into the block wall of a crawl space. And usually it um, has a um, a top that is like aligned with the bottom of the sort of framed wall where the siding sort of overlaps. Now, in a case like this, you definitely need to have at least a drip edge covering the top of that door because remember the door is wood or even if it's metal it's going to rust you can't have water going down the siding and getting underneath that so you definitely have to have a drip edge uh, flashing on top of that and in terms of the size depending on how tight it is to the block wall i would at least caulk with a silicone caulk those sides of the door jam into that block wall so again you don't have water that's getting in there so you treat it the same basically as you would with any exterior window or door just because it's just for the crawl space doesn't mean you should be taking any shortcuts on it and lastly don't forget now's the time to get a good solid coat of exterior paint on that because typically when they come out of the factory they're primed but they need finished coats on top of the door to make it last a long time you know, a lot of times we see these Bilco doors, you know, those definitely go into a similar type of space. Do we have the same type of concerns with that? Well, the nice thing about a Bilco door, these are these angular metal doors. You have to kind of dig a well and you have steps going down. And then you use that to get into the to the basement area or the crawl space area is that the Bilco door itself is weather resistant. So it's only that opening that has to be sealed. And yes, pretty much the same way as I just described for the crawl space door. Well, fall is one of the most beautiful seasons for home decorating. I mean, you got the rustic colors and the iconic images from harvest time. But how do you pull ideas from the natural world to decorate your home for the season? Leslie's got some tips on how to do exactly that in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Yeah, you know, guys, I love fall. It's like my favorite season. I mean, 
next Christmas, but you know what I'm saying. I love this time of year. You've got apple and pumpkin picking, changing leaves, Halloween. And if you plan it right, there are ways that you can have your autumn, Halloween, fall, whatever you call it, decor, take you from right now in this month all the way through Thanksgiving. Now, first of all, you can use those late summer harvests to spruce up your front entry to your kitchen table. We're talking about those pumpkins, squashes, baskets of colorful apples or gourds. And you can swap things out. You can mix them up. You can move them around. But they really do set the scene for this time of year. Also, pull those colors for accents all around the home, from tablecloths to linens, towels, pillows, vases, cookie jars, all of those accent pieces throughout the house. Instead of flowers, place a vase of autumn leaves on the side or your dining table, whatever. Think about fun ways to really bring all of those colors and feelings of the season indoors. Now, lastly, think about your senses. Pine cones, cinnamon sticks, they definitely give you those autumn smells. And the texture of a few pine cones can evoke fall as well. So using what's around you, that definitely brings that autumn feeling into your home without spending a lot of money. So get creative, go for a walk, look around, bring your little, you know, shears to snip a branch here and there and have a great time this fall season. It's going to be a good one. This is the Money Fit Home Improvement Show coming up next time on this program. From single sinks to limited square footage, smaller bathrooms often leave much to be desired, but you don't have to make a bathroom bigger to make it better. We'll have tips for better bathrooms, even those that are small, on the next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.